episode 38, Resilience, Interception, Neuroplastic Yoga Awareness. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we're Christine Coveri Weber, Perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. Welcome back to this week's episode. I gotta be honest, I know about yoga, the poses, that's about it. So today, our guests will go deep into how to look for an appropriate yoga therapy teacher. What are some qualifications? You know, we hear about yoga is good, chiropractic is good, acupuncture is good, physical therapy is good for low back pain, but what's a good yoga teacher? What aspects should we be looking for? Maybe what are some good books? What role does yoga have in the healthcare of America, right? So she goes into a whole lot of these types of details and it should be really good. So enjoy the hour. All the show notes can be found at the doctorsperspective.net slash three eight. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Podcast. Welcome back. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Christine Coveri Weber. She's been studying yoga for nearly 30 years. She's an advocate. She's been doing it since 1995 in training and teaching. She believes in holistic mind-body experience. She's the director of the Subtle Yoga Teacher Training for Behavioral Health Professionals in Asheville, North Carolina. She does workshops. She does training. She has lots of resources on her website. Amazing type of things here. So let's jump right in. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, let's just jump right in. You experienced yoga a long time ago. It's actually impacted your life, you know, enough to teach it and everything. So so how did you find yoga or did yoga find you? <laughs> That's always a good question. Um, I had a hippie social studies teacher when I was in seventh grade uh, in Pennsylvania and she wore Birkenstocks and long Chloe skirts. Maybe it wasn't Birkenstocks, but it was some like groovy 70s sandals. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. And we were like, oh, my God, we have to go do yoga with our teacher, you know, but I'll never forget. We made fun of it. Um, but I'll never forget that first experience that I had of lying still in the at the end practice, which we called Shavasana. Uh, and that's the practice that you do in just about every yoga class you go to. It's you, you lie flat after you've done all of the uh, practices and basically you go into an interoceptive awareness experience where you're noticing the feelings in your body. And I remember going there and I had almost like this, I don't know, it was a seventh grade out of body experience. I remember feeling so light and free and so peaceful. And I didn't tell anybody about that at the time. I didn't have any context for understanding it. I was just like, wow, yeah, yoga's for weird old hippies, but it really made me feel good. And actually, the practices that I learned from her that's that uh, year that I was studying yoga with her, I think it was like every Wednesday we did yoga, and uh, that I still use some of those practices 40-something years later. I still use some of the things that she taught me, so... Oh. Yeah, and I tried to look her up a few years ago. I thought, oh, I've got to find Miss Gale and tell her how grateful I am for teaching me yoga in seventh grade or sixth. It might have been sixth grade, um, and uh, she had already passed away. It was sad, but um, but that was my first. You know, that opened the door for me. And then, um, you know, of course, life came. I became a teenager, and I did all sorts of other stuff. I was an aerobics instructor in the eighties when there were aerobics studios around. And, and, um, when I got, when I was in grad school, um, 
one of my best friends uh, would say, you know, we were, you know, at grad school, it's like you're just completely slammed all the time. You have yeah. no time. And a lot of your people have been through med school. I didn't go through med school, thank God. But uh, the amount of time and the amount of stress that your body is under is really extraordinary. And so I had my my friend would be like, come on, let's go to yoga. This was 1989, you know, so there was there were no sticky mats. There was really no yoga studios, nothing, you know, but we she would take me to the gym and in the gym. Uh, you know, those big, thick wrestling, those old blue, dark navy blue wrestling mats. With big- the war, we cleaned them first. <laughs> yeah, they were nasty. And she, <laughs> we'd go to the Oof. gym and we had a real Indian Swami teaching us yoga. I don't know where this guy came from, but you know, he had a long black beard Whoa. and was wearing white flowy clothes and we would stand on our heads and do all this stuff. And my friend would say, Yoga is the perfect complement to all the stress you have to deal with from academia. And I was like, yeah, but I still was so embarrassed to practice yoga because it was not cool at all back then, you know. So that's kind of how I got started. And, and since that time I've used, I really have been a regular practitioner. I spent four years in Asia. Um, so I was living in uh, Japan for a couple of years, making some money so I could travel. And then I spent Um, almost a year in India and Nepal, um, studying at different ashrams. So I really, I really kind of immersed myself in the traditional study of yoga before I came back to the West and started to see what the West had added to the practice. So I, you know, I I really got um, the best of both worlds. And since that time, I've studied extensively with many different teachers. Yeah. How did you find these places back then? Because <laughs> they didn't have the internet, so it was uh, right. They didn't have the internet back those days. Uh, how did you find maps. all these teachers? <laughs> remember, remember books? Oh, those things. <laughs> you had to ask the locals. There were guidebooks. <laughs> you talked to the locals. I spent a lot of time um, traveling to the tourist places and meeting people, and they'd be like, "You should go to that ashram, which is in that small town, and go talk to those people because that would be really interesting for you. You might learn something." So it was that kind of a just word of mouth experience of of traveling around. I was backpacking around India for for quite a while, uh, just meeting people and trying to figure out. You know, I was twenty seven. I was yeah. in the middle of my Saturn return, trying to figure yeah. out my life. <laughs> Now, the word you use, does that mean teacher in yoga lingo? Which word did I say? Swami? Swara. Swami. The, the people you studied with in India. Yeah. Is that like the teacher, the the, mass, the, the, the important instructors who know it all? Um, well, that would be guru, right? But Swami is like, uh, okay. t- typically Swamis are some kind of renunciates. And you'll often see them wearing turbans, you know. Um, so typically they're, they're a renunciate of a particular yogic order and some of them, mainly they've been men, but you will find orders that have women and I usually call them nuns cause I don't know what other word to use for them. They, they, in, in Sanskrit, they would say Swamini or, uh, Sanyasini or, um, a, well, I guess they use the word, um, Acharya sometimes for both male and female. So there's a lot of different words for the teachers. You know, it's a, it's a very, very, it's, it's an extraordinarily rich tradition with many, many different paths and, and lineages and teachers and thousands of years behind it. So it's very complex. Yeah. 
But let's let's explore that just a little bit. As a practitioner, we hear in studies chiropractic, acupuncture, yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi. Right. Any of it works. It's all the same, except a little bit not. Um, <laughs> how do we, you know, right? And I can think of probably the most Western at the gym. You got weights down the hall. You got yoga class from a 19-year-old uh, in the other room. Right. What what kind of training does that person have versus someone like yourself who's actually gone to those countries and possibly could you even do that in America and still learn quote, the same thing? Well, this is an interesting question. And I've um, thought about it and written about it extensively. I actually have a free ebook on my website that's called How to Choose a Yoga Teacher Training Program. I have two of them for the first, the 200 hour and then the 300 hour, because I'm so fascinated by, <laughs> by the, this question, you know, sort of the, the, um, not only the training behind it, but also the theory and the worldview behind it. I think those things are important as well. So let me just start by saying that mm -hmm. um, you would never expect to be able to clean someone's teeth or to cut their hair with 200 hours of training. And yet in our culture, that is what we have set as the standard for a yoga teacher is 200 hours of training. You know, as a health professional, you know, that's nothing, you know, it's very, very small amount of training. Um, and so I, I start with that and I tell people like, don't expect to quit your day job and become a yoga teacher after 200 hours of training. It's just, it, it's an extraordinary um, amount. It takes an extraordinary amount of training to really be adept uh, you're a you're a chiropractor, right? But chiropractors or PTs work a lot with kinesiology. You know that you can't be adept at helping people to really heal their bodies with small amounts of training. So, so that's the first thing I want to say. That doesn't mean that people can't have wonderful therapeutic presences and therapeutic uh, skills that they've just intuitively developed. Many people do. That's why they get attracted to these. Um, professions in the first place. Um, but then there is a level of training that's necessary. So to answer your question, um, you really do want to look for somebody who has an RYT 500. That means they've at least had 500 hours of training. If they have an E in front of the RYT 500, it means they have 3000 hours of experience teaching. And then the highest level of certification right now is what's called CIAYT. So Certified International Association of Yoga Therapists. And the IAYT is a fairly rigorous organization made up 40% of health professionals. 60% are more yoga professionals like myself. And they have drafted... Um, guidelines and, as well as competencies for um, for yoga therapists and then have created this certification uh, designation. So that's why I have a CIAYT after my name. It means I've done the the necessary training to be to call myself a yoga therapist. And you know the problem of course is there's no licensure for yoga anywhere, <laughs> which which is good in some ways. Um, you know, but but what it requires is individuals and health professionals looking to uh, looking to refer to have an incredibly an incredible amount of um, capacity for discrimination and to understand what they're referring to. You know, so 
you have to be able to to be clear. You can't just send somebody, a client down the street to the gym to a yoga class and say that'll help your back. In fact, it could wor- it could worsen your back. Because they may not have any. So that's the difference between a relaxation yoga versus a healing yoga is you can see them do whatever poses and fix and show them like, okay, this isn't right because maybe this or this or this is off. Yeah. And you can guide them into, um, I guess, better, healthier positions that what they can handle with, versus what they think they can handle. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think that's, I think you're getting warmer <laughs> and there's much bigger picture. <laughs> so, so let me, okay. say, let me say that, um, yoga is a practice, especially particularly yoga therapy, but yoga in general is a practice that addresses all aspects of human existence, mind, body, spirit. And it essentially uses four process tools, which were defined by the Kripalu Research Consortium, the group of researchers all over the country and from some other countries who came together and said, let's make a good definition of yoga that we can base the research studies on. So to date, there've been more than 5,000 studies on yoga and several meta-analyses and systematic reviews. So there's some good stuff coming out. Um, And that definition, according to the Kripala Research Consortium, is ethical engagement, um, mindful movement, uh, breathing practices, and then meditation. So from my perspective, we have to understand yoga not as sort of relaxing physical therapy, but as a holistic technology for taking people from uh, states of disease to states of ease and from taking people from states of ease to states of potential and thriving. So it's an, it's a holistic technology and, and, uh, it's not just about postures. That's important to me to understand. Now going back to the training. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. So going back to training, um, the difference, most people, the way that, let me, let me, let me do something before I go back to training, which is let's talk about the way that yoga gets conceptualized in the Western world. So since 1968, <laughs> 1969, when Kenneth Cooper came out with his famous groundbreaking book, Aerobics Revolution, we have been assaulted in this country with media telling us how important uh, physical exercises. I don't dispute that physical exercise is mm-hmm. incredibly important, but that tends to be the way that we conceptualize, um, any kind of movement practice that it has to fit into that fitness cardiovascular kind of mode. Right. And so when yoga comes around mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, yoga comes around and the way that it's going to get packaged and conceptualized is as a fitness strategy. So primarily, I would say mm-hmm. 80 to 90% of the yoga services that get delivered in this country fall under fitness industry. 20%, 10 to 20% fall more under wellness, relaxation stuff, mindfulness stuff, right? So you can have training people who are fitness professionals, and this happens all the time. Fitness professionals can go and get trained as yoga teachers under the American uh, Aerobics Association. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. But, you know, so you can become a fitness yoga Mm. instructor fairly easily. You can do it in a weekend, you know. Um, And then, and (laughs) right. So then if you're trying to find professionals who can actually help people in implementing this transformative and healing and transformative technology, 
um, on in a much more deep, rich, holistic way, then yes, you want to look for a yoga therapist because they've been trained in the full spectrum, hopefully, uh, in the full spectrum of yoga technology. So, so it's, you know, that's, that's where it gets a little tricky. And, and I think it's very difficult for health professionals to navigate what's out there. Uh, because anybody can say anything on Facebook ad or whatever about, about their yoga. And I think it's very difficult to navigate if somebody actually has skills to help somebody and not hurt them. 50% of the people who start doing yoga quit because they get injured, which is really bad. Well, I mean, it's good for my business, but it's really bad for the yoga industry. (laughs) (laughs) Shoulders and wrists, is that the common injury areas? Uh, low back, neck, shoulders, wrists, knees, uh, hips, hip joints are big problem. Everything. So everything. Yeah. Elbows. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know anytime I pretend to do yoga, I'll feel the stress in my, in my wrists, which probably tells me I should probably actually use someone who's, um, more trained. Yeah. So when you go into the, like the mindfulness and the breathing exercises, I know my wife will talk about that. She's like, the breathing is like a huge part of it. It helps her when she's not doing fasting. She's like, I can just breathe and kind of bring the energy down and makes me full. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I would like some almonds now. Um, (laughs) So to talk about, (laughs) could you talk about that a little bit? The power of proper breathing and what that has to do with yoga and maybe like a stress relief or um, Mm -hmm. the benefits. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Well, there's um, a large body of research that demonstrates the effectiveness of deep breathing uh, in terms of building resiliency in the nervous system. So, you know, it's not just about parasympathetic activation. It's, it's about being able to dance between the sympathetic part of the nervous system and the parasympathetic part of the nervous system and to be able to rise to the... Uh, the needs of the body, right? So, and the needs of the situation mm. so that you, you can be activated when you need to be activated and you can be relaxed when you need to be relaxed. You know, our culture kind of pivots on this coffee and wine uh, cycle of waking up with coffee and going to sleep with wine, you know, or beer or whatever. And that is a demonstration of a lack of resilience in the nervous system, essentially, right? So it's not so much, I, I think sometimes we mm-hmm. get this idea that the SNS and the PNS are, are oppositional and they're not entirely oppositional. There's more of a dance going on with them, right? So that being said, uh, the breath is the primary autonomic function that can be brought under conscious control, right? You can also blink. That's another thing. You can bring, blinking is autonomic, but we can bring that right. But but the breath is something that really goes deep into the nervous system and has an effect um, on vagal tone and heart rate variability primarily. And also, um, you know, there's some interesting interesting studies out there about the emotional connection between the breath uh, and the limbic system, right? So so as you start mm. to tap into the power of your breath, and as you start to employ I should say safe breathing techniques. We call them pranayama in, in yoga. Um, you can start to develop better resiliency in the nervous system, more vagal tone, vagal flexibility, which correlates with psychological flexibility. So the capacity you have to bounce mm-hmm. back and forth between, um, uh, you know, as the body, as the system needs to be activated, as the system needs to relax, the capacity you have to do that is going to correlate to more psychological flexibility as well. So the capacity to not get up tight or upset when certain things are, are coming at you and be able to sort of clearly handle your life, right? Those are, those are all correlate. Those are all correlated. So what yoga does is it helps to train 
um, heart rate variability and vagal tone. And, um, and there is some research on this. So as the vagus nerve gets more toned, I often, so this is the way I explain it to my clients. Uh, they say, you know, what does that mean? What's vagal tone? Well, I say, well, you know how like your muscles need to tone up and you, you know, do exercises to tone your muscles. Well, you need to do exercises to tone your vagus nerve too. But those exercises are not the same. They're not cardiovascular exercises. Rather, they're being able to move into states of discomfort, which might be partly holding a yoga pose for a little while, and then being able to move into states of deep, deep relaxation, right? And and if you're doing both of those things during a yoga experience uh, or yoga posture practice, I should say, and even to some extent during breathing experiences, that's going to confer greater vagal tone and, and that, that confers more resilience in the system. I think that, uh, you know, exercise is good for building resilience too, but um, we have to have this other part of, of the practice, which is about learning how to calm the nervous system down. And in our hyperactivated, overstimulated society, that is something that is of great value. And I think it's almost, I don't think it's understood well yet. You know, I think we're at the beginning of the bell curve. I think right. we're going to start to understand yeah. it soon. Yeah. Because my brain goes straight to, we have such a go, 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 especially if you're like in a bigger city. You're always full of stress. It's, everything you do is rushed. And so to have be able to sit down, some people just want to watch a movie. But if you could spend maybe, what, five or ten minutes on a, some of these yoga poses and maybe just some of the breathing exercises that you've learned while you're doing it, it can really calm you down, which has so much more benefits with stress, with heart rate. Like you said, with the heart rate and all these different um, – we'd rather take a pill than actually just sit down and right. focus well, and let for me ten take minutes that, or an hour. And this is something I'm very interested in. So let me take that a bit further because – you know, our culture thinks about calming down as Netflix and boxed wine. I mean, or Netflix and a six pack. Like that's the way yeah. you think about calming down. And that's not the same training. Your nervous system needs to train in resilience. That is not training. That is numbing you out, right? It's numbing you out because <laughs> you just are like so hyperstimulated. You have to do something to calm down. So it, that's a different approach. It doesn't train the system. It just provides a short-term relief. Just like taking, you know, a sleep aid would provide a short-term relief. So what I, what I would suggest is that to learn to train the nervous system, the key to resilience is awareness. It's the key. And what are you aware of? And, and this is neurobiologic too. This isn't just like mindfulness, new agey chatter. This is neurobiology. So what are you aware of? You're aware of the feelings in your body. When you understand the feelings in your body, when you're aware of them, then you can make good decisions. Then you can make healthy decisions for yourself instead of acting out of on autopilot, out of habitual ways of understanding. So how do you facilitate awareness? Well, what the research is starting to demonstrate is one of the best ways to facilitate awareness is through interoception. Right. So interoception is the capacity to feel the sensations in your body and then not just to feel your sensations, but to understand, identify and make meaning out of those sensations. And that primarily occurs in the insular cortex and the anterior cingulate cortex in the brain. That's where that's happening. What studies have shown is that people with tra trauma histories 
you know, so people who, and the reason I'm using this as an example is because those are probably the most uh, dysregulated clients that you're going to see are those people that have, uh, that are in a constant state of hypervigilance, right? So what studies have shown is that people uh, with PTSD have a very dysregulated insula. Their insula doesn't work properly. Mm. Of course, they have a hyperactivated hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, of course, right? But also the insula is not, Mm -hmm. the insular cortex is not working right and the anterior cingulate cortex. So what these practices do, you know, and I always tell my students the, the pause between your poses that, that where you stop and assimilate and notice that is just as important as the yoga practice itself in terms of developing resilience, because what we're starting to understand is what these practices do, moving slowly, moving with your breath, moving with awareness, focusing on what you're doing. That's what creates neuroplastic changes in the brain. There's four ways that you change the brain, Mm. focus or awareness, repetition, which is doing the practices all the time, novelty, right? You want something like a little bit different and a little unusual because that activates the dopamine. Um, so wait, what did I say? Focus, <laughs> focus or awareness, novelty, um, uh, repetition, repetition. Yeah. Repetition. And the last one I'm, it's just escaping me right now, but I'll remember it before we finish. <laughs> I know there's another one, but I can't yeah, Exactly. And those are from, uh, Dan Siegel, who's a, um, a neuroscientist. And anyway, so to, to go back yeah. to, to this idea of focus and awareness, what we understand is it's through these mindful awareness practices that we start to elicit neuroplastic changes in the brain. So we start to heal the, the insula. And there are people right now uh, working at the trauma center in Boston who are helping people with complex developmental childhood trauma to heal the effects of PTSD, to heal those trauma, you know, the hypervigilance and the yeah, and just that total sense of uncomfortableness in the body. They're helping them heal it just by these slow, mindful, interoceptive practice, uh, yoga practices. That's what they're using for it. Of course, they do cognitive work and they do, you know, they have an integrated system, but that's one of the big pieces of their system. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so to that's go back. So that could be another reason to find someone like yourself. Oh, yeah. Because it can deal with the psychosomatic, the psychos, visceral, that component, as well as yeah, we want you to be stronger physically, but you also have these other issues and you can actually get them both taken care of at the same time in a very healing environment. You know, and that's why I talk about yoga as such a um, important, especially therapeutic yoga, yoga therapy, as such an important piece of the healthcare dilemma, the healthcare crisis that we're facing. So let's, let's talk about this. What, what crisis? <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, when you think about, <laughs> when you think about, the what's happening, you know, in terms of our understanding of something like chronic pain, or addiction, um, chronic uh, autoimmune issues, all of these things, we're now looking at them like we have to apply a biopsychosocial approach, right? We have to, because that's the only way that Mm. you can really address these issues is we can't keep going back to mechanics or you know, some sort of trying to tweak the nervous system or tweak the hormones. It, it, we have to have a biopsychosocial approach. I mean, that's best practice, right? 
So mm. that being said, since yoga is inherently biopsychosocial spiritual, I think it offers a really powerful complement to traditional medicine, to, to contemporary medicine. You know, I think it offers a really powerful complement. And the other thing is that it can be delivered in small groups quite effectively so that you can, you can work with more than one person at a time. And if you're using populations with similar challenges, then those, those people, you know, you kind of can work with, for example, back pain or, um, kidney, uh, you know, some kind of a kidney challenges. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got somebody with who's on dialysis right now. Um, Parkinson's, I, I think of fibromyalgia, I think about all these populations and how they're so pervasive. Addiction is a big one. Uh, and you can work mm -hmm. with people in small populations and it, it adds so much value to the treatment. That's what's so powerful about it to add this value to the treatment. So I'm really interested in population health and how therapeutic yoga can help to benefit, you know, as it's an it's not just an add-on, but it's certainly a powerful complement to uh, traditional therapies for for these kind of chronic challenges that people are facing right now. And it's huge. You know, $3.2 trillion last year. 87% of that money goes to chronic preventable diseases. So we have to do something differently. <laughs> well, yeah. When, you, when you're talking about this triple aim for like the affordable health care, right. what what would you see if you had a perfect world and you could just implement something? What are some of the things that you would like to see just turned on? Yeah, that's such a great question. I, and I think about it all the time. So what I would love to see is a yoga therapist as part of integrative treatment strategies in, you know, across the spectrum of care. So when you're looking at hospitals, I don't think hospitals need one yoga therapist. I think they need yoga therapists uh, in each um, group you know, what, whatever the, whatever the floor is or whatever the, um, specialty is. I think yoga, I think yoga therapists should be in part, part of those integrated treatment teams. I think yoga therapists would do really well, um, as we're starting to develop more complementary medicine approaches and integrative, you know, there's a few really, really cutting edge practices out there. Um, I'm thinking about the Casey Institute right now, not Edgar Casey. <laughs> There's a Casey Institute in Virginia that is an integrative medicine facility. They have a yoga therapist on staff. It's a primary care um, practice, right? I would love to see yoga wow. therapists as part of primary care practices, also as part of um, OBGYN practices. Makes a lot of sense to have to do prevention, right? You're, you're doing health of the mother, but you're doing prevention work because what we know is that the mother's stress level influences the health of the child in utero, right? So, um, so yeah. I think, I think yoga therapists would be really important of the important part of those, those sorts of teams. Um, I, I just think there's, there's so much scope for utilizing yoga therapists in a much broader um, context than we're doing right now. And most yoga is delivered via the, the wellness industry, which is a $600 billion industry. Uh, but it's primarily outside of the auspices of, of the healthcare system. And I, and what that means is that people mm. without money are disenfranchised from the practices. So I'd like to see yoga brought into public and population health 
in a in a much in a much uh, stronger way. But you know what it requires is is training people at higher levels because you can't ask a fitness person to go in and teach people who are in wheelchairs. Like a, you know, they just that it doesn't work. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you. How many CIAYT teachers instructors are there to be able to meet this type of demand? It would. I, I wish I knew the number right now, and I don't. But I think it's only in it's only maybe three or five thousand. Um, this designation just came out um, this year, actually. <laughs> it's brand new. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Is there any other ones that we should be looking for? Um, well, if you have someone who's an ERYT five hundred, that's not bad. You know, that means that at oh, least those. they're taking their. Okay. They've been around for a while, but it doesn't necessarily mean they understand anything about therapeutics. So, yeah, you do want right. to want to start you 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 really have to vet people and ask them like what their training is, what they who they've worked with, have they worked with people outside of a yoga studio? I mean, yoga studio populations are rather homogenous, you know, they're they're heterogeneous. They're mm-hmm. they're um, you know, they they tend to be white women who have a certain level of fitness. You know, I mean, that just tends to to be who goes to those those menus. So, if you're asking someone to come into an intensive outpatient addiction treatment program, that's you know that's not not where you're gonna, you're not going to find somebody at the fitness studio to do that necessarily. That it's a special tr- skill set. Working with trauma is a special skill set. Working with back pain is a skill set. You know, so um, it really it really is important to vet the person that you're referring to or that you're asking to come into your program. But the, the good, the good news to it is that, as I mentioned, there's, there's a tremendous amount of studies out there that are coming out. The American Medical Association just came out with their recommendations for, um, you know, it was in response to the opioid epidemic, but they came out with recommendations for low back pain and they strongly recommend Mm -hmm. yoga. No, it's it's on the you know it's being recommended by them. It's um you know you're seeing you're seeing it out there that people are looking for yoga. So as a health professional, I think it's very important to start learning how to refer and and meet the people meet the professionals in your area. I've trained um, physicians, I've trained nurses, and mostly I've trained behavioral health professionals. So. Um, the, the mental health people are getting pretty good at referring and there's a lot of somatic stuff coming into the mental health world right now. It's kind of flooding in right now because of the research. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, we're not, okay. you know, mental health problems are not up here. They're in your whole body. You know, I was about to ask that if, if someone's want to learn more or maybe I know someone, how can they f- develop these skills or if someone's out of high school and they really are into what you're talking about, how do you know, they, I don't even want to go to college. Do you teach this like in seminars? Do they fly out to North Carolina and spend a week, a month? Uh, how do they how do they go about learning how to do this, especially through your systems? So I have training programs at the Mountain Area Health Education Center, which is a premier institution in the western part of North Carolina for training the healthcare workforce. So I've been training yoga, I've been training healthcare professionals for about ten years now. Um, it's one of the few programs in the United States. There's a couple others. Um, there's one at the University of Maryland Medical School, but they're training the medical students exclusively, you know. And um, there's one at mm. uh, Loyola Marymount University in California, uh, and they will train professionals there. There's a few, there's a few trainings around. Um, I also offer some online trainings through Yoga University 
which is the website for that is yogauonline.com. Yogauonline.com. You as in the letter, not Y-O-U. So yoga, you, the letter online.com. Um, and so I have quite a few workshops. So that's a, a great resource. Actually, there's many, many different, very, very well established yoga therapists teaching through that website. So that's a great online resource to learn more about yoga and, and what it can provide. How long would it take? Uh, I don't, 200 hours or 300 hours. I don't have an idea as a chiropractor when we take courses right. uh, like that, but Someone who wants to do it full time and that's what they want to learn as fast as possible. How many years or months does that take? There are very few. So here's the thing. We, because the yoga industry doesn't have licensure, that means we are not, for the most part, unless you're packaged with some other therapies, for the most part, we're not reimbursable, right? What that means is there mm-hmm. is not a market for full time training. So most training happens on the weekends. Uh, there are some training programs yeah. that are month long training programs. I don't necessarily recommend long training programs. I mean, sometimes you have to do it just because of time, but the problem is assimilation. So like more than 10 or 12 days mm-hmm. is usually really, you really get flooded because the thing about yoga is that you have to, you learn it by doing it and experiencing it as much as you do by theory. You can't just learn the theory and go do it. You really do have to practice stuff. Right. And that's where um, one, one thing that's so wonderful about it is it provides uh, uh, the clinician self-care experience, right? So that clinician self-care, like in the behavioral health world, that's an ethical imperative. And I think it should be in all you know, the health, the health practitioners, uh, the health professors, rather. <laughs> you see the fat doctor. <laughs> yeah, there it is. The, the ethical imperative or the smoking one. I used to have a couple smoking doctors um, when I was young. <laughs> Plenty of those <laughs> so, here. Yeah. So so that that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the what beautiful and the wonderful thing is there's there's this parallel process with yoga where you get to practice it for yourself and learn how to regulate your own nervous system, and then you get to teach that, and it's really beautiful. I should also say that I work with lots of people. I train lots of people who have physical limitations. So I've trained many, many yoga teachers to who are physically unable to do a lot of postures and have to do stuff in chairs because of various chronic conditions, right? So that I, I feel like that's so important to mention. Anybody who can breathe can do yoga. You just have to understand how to adapt it to whatever the person is dealing with at that time. And if you know how to do that, you can work with anybody. My first yoga teacher, yoga therapist gig was 1995 to 2001. I worked in a nursing home hospice assisted living facility that was run by Quakers in, in Pennsylvania. And I was their alternative person. And I went and I worked with all the people in the wheelchairs and I worked with people in hospice beds. And, you know, I did all sorts of stuff with people with, with very, you know, serious, um, uh, physical limitations. So if you can breathe, you can do yoga. <laughs> That's the thing to remember. Yeah. Talk about stretch your comfort zone with it too. Yeah. You got to get real inventive and, and you really tune in. <laughs> you have to be wow. very creative. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Do you mind if we switch gears a little bit? No, not at all. Because you have your own business. You're talking about training people. How are you marketing this? Um, you like, know, like what works in, in your field? And if anybody out there can help me, I would appreciate it. <laughs> because, be careful. you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the create, I'm like the 
the creative person. I'm the creative director of my business, I guess you could say. I spend most of my time developing PowerPoints and teaching curriculum and manuals. That's what I love doing. That's what I'm good at. So I have spent some time with marketing people who've helped me to some extent. But I have to say, I'm still kind of living in the 20th century. Most of my um, marketing is word of mouth, which is good marketing. But, you know, I haven't exploited the wonders of the Internet as much as I probably need to. <laughs> yeah, when you have the availability, there's so much you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of Russell Brunson? No. Uh, definitely check him out with ClickFunnels. He's got these books. If you got like virtual products and different things like that, oh my goodness, he's going to blow, his books will blow your mind and then you'll have a to-do list for like two months. Okay. Of like, okay, I can make this work. Well, it's so amazing. And it's not like you, you were. You can send me his link on Skype. That would be great. I'll do it. I'll Thank do you. it. Um, Five-year goals. Anything set in the future that you're really striving towards yes. right now? And how do you know if it's really worth it? This is my philosophy of life. Everything I do is worth it. You know, as long as I'm doing it with the right intention in my heart, I'm never, I'm never going to make a mistake. Like there's always just something to learn from it, you know? So I know it's worth whatever I'm going to do. I know it's worth it. <laughs> I might not like be the most amazing like thing, but, but I'm going to do it. So what I really, what I'm really focused on right now, and um, I shouldn't say I'm really focused on right now. This is my five-year plan right now. I'm focused on what's in front of me, which is I'm, I'm teaching in Brazil next month and I'm training a bunch of teachers for the rest of the year. So I have a lot of curriculum that I'm working on. But my sort of long-term goal or plan is to train a whole health system. So I want to go to Charlotte, North Carolina, or Knoxville, or somewhere um, as a consultant and train all of their health professionals. I've got manuals that I'm ready to go with, and I'm going to start promoting or, or contacting people because what I really want to do is train the workforce. I want to go into a hospital system and say, what if your hospital system was a mindful mindfulness, um, uh, mindful movement, mindfulness, breathing and spiritual leveraging spiritual assets um, organization that knew how to apply these biopsychosocial spiritual technologies across the spectrum of care. So I'm going to go train 40,000 people. That's my plan. <laughs> Or whatever, you know, I mean, not that much, not that many people, but you know, like when you think about a hospital, like hospitals can have eight or 10,000 employees sometimes. Tons of people in there. Yeah. Tons of people work in there. So yeah. And maybe I can't train all of them, but I'd love to go and start that. You know, that's kind of where I'm thinking like, what if, what if I had a whole health system that I trained and then I could research that health system in terms of the population health benefits of, of using these these uh, technologies. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's my yeah. big picture. If there's any way to get CE credits with that, that would be huge. It's like, it's not just to spend in a couple hours, you actually can get credit too. So right. come on, come on hospitals. Right. Help well, us out. Help you out. Um, Everybody wins. Yeah. I have a physician I'm trying to, I've got a couple of physicians I'm working with. I'm trying to get them on board to help me do it because I don't have the credentials, yeah. you know, to do it for the CMEs. Yeah. And if nothing else, they can let you know what's necessary. Like, oh, that's true. You got to have that part of the credentials. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, there is that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you can also like, when you speak to people that are in the field, they can give you hints. Like, if you're going for this approach, don't go that route. Right. You'll never win. Right. If you approach it from this angle, you might get an appointment or something. Right. At least that's what I've learned trying to get chiropractic into hospitals, which is a no-go um, normally. And I'm like, come on, guys, what can we do? This is <laughs> All the research shows that it should be in there already. Like, what is the hang-up? Right. 
So it's yeah. tough. It is. Yeah. Where do you see your healthcare profession, your the yoga elites going in the next few years? Um, I think they are going in this direction of integrating the care, okay. integrating the services into um, into the medical system. That's definitely a trend that I'm seeing happening. It was that was um, exemplified by the keynote at the last conference I went to, who was John Weeks. Who's the? Do you know John Weeks, the integrator blog? Oh, you should no. definitely look him up. Yeah. Okay. Really cool stuff. He's John he Weeks. is. He has been like the chief advocate for integrative healthcare for 30 years or something. And he's a fantastic oh. speaker. So that was really exciting. He was the um, keynote at the last International Association of Yoga Therapy Conference. And, and I just connected with him so well. And, and it, it makes me think that that's, you know, that's the trend where we're going. I think. Culturally, we are at a place where we have a lot of challenges right now to deal with, not, not just healthcare, because healthcare is, the problem of healthcare is intermingled with the problem of economic disparity, social injustice, racial injustice. Uh, and so all of those, when I think about all of those problems, how do people rise, how do, how do we help raise consciousness you know, go back to the 60s, consciousness raising is basically about knowing, understanding yourself a little better and digging mm -hmm. through some mm -hmm. of the places in yourself that create limitations um, and create dysfunctional uh, negative belief systems that perpetuate this idea that it's okay for people to be hungry or it's okay to be, you know, um, anti-Semitic or uh, racist, which is, you know, we're seeing that in our culture. I would love to have Donald Trump for a client for a few months so I could help him get in better <laughs> touch with himself <laughs> and let go. Just take away his phone. Just get him off Twitter. <laughs> off Twitter and help him sleep better. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so, and I think my about, buddy and I were talking about it. We're like, the guy would just get off Twitter. He would just get off Twitter, but it's not just get off Twitter. He needs to get in touch with himself and heal some of that inner wounded child, you know. And okay, I'm not one to wait around for Donald Trump to go through his process, but you know, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that a lot of people hold those similar attitudes because they feel so traumatized and hurt. And if we can help people get a little bit more in touch with themselves, I think that this is one of the things that society desperately needs in order to heal some of the, the ailments that the social ills that we're faced with. So, you know, when I think about the possibility for yoga therapy, I think, gosh, we could really help to heal the world, you know, and I think and then I think about, well, what if everybody got a massage and a chiropractic adjustment and did some yoga and, you know, um, ate healthy food, how much uh, happier people would be, you know, and not feeling so uncomfortable in their bodies that they have to project it onto the weak and vulnerable people in, in our culture. <laughs> What's a good yoga schedule anyway? What's a good yoga schedule? You mean like, when should you do it? Yeah, once a week. Yeah, once a week, three times a week, every day. Every day. Yeah. I mean, so my schedule is I wake up in the morning and um, if I don't have to rush off somewhere, like this morning, I got to do it. I wake up in the morning, I meditate for 20 to 45 minutes, depending on how much time I have. If 
But even if you only have five minutes for meditation, you should always meditate. My, my opinion is meditation is so important. And then I do yoga postures for, again, 20 minutes to an hour every day, depending on my schedule. And that's my, that's what I set my day off. I set my day off with that, not coffee because a coffee's good, but I've decided like it's probably not that great for my nervous system. So I, instead of the stimulant, I go for, instead of stimulation, I go for nourishment and yoga nourishes me, you know? So, and, and it's not like I do this crazy practice. I do a few, I roll around on the floor with my cat a little bit and (laughs) You know, and then my body feels good and I can do whatever I need to do for the day. You know, so I think a, a daily practice is great. But when you're first starting out, it really helps to go to classes a few times, you know, twice, two or three times a week. That's the other thing I love about yoga and population health is you can just watch a video. You can just do 20 minutes video with somebody you like on That's YouTube. True. You know, you don't necessarily have to go anywhere. The benefit of being in a group is that you get that group process and that, um, uh, and there's so much research about group process being that which really helps people to heal. So you're working with people that have similar challenges to you and there's a lot of support. So that's a good thing about a group. I know I bought a, um, I don't even remember what it's called now, but it was some guy. <laughs> He's probably, he probably like is a big deal, but uh, he did a big class in, greece or rome or like some of the ruins and it's got like 12 different dvds included i don't even remember what it was called now which is i should have even probably not mentioned it because i don't remember yeah. but uh, i think i did two of the cds and then my wife kind of got out of it and was like i'm gonna go here and do it i like to be in more of a class setting yeah like a real class setting and i just haven't really picked it up but it's like i had it and i intended to try it and then just kind of you know just like anything you gotta be real. If you're not into it enough, it'll just fall to the wayside. And right. I think you're gonna motivate me to at least pick it up for another week or two and maybe make it a routine again. <laughs> right, right. That's the problem. That's really the problem with uh, the videos is you don't necessarily have that group support. And group support also includes group motivation. Like, oh, I, I gotta show up to be with my people, you know. And and that can be really mm-hmm. helpful for people. I, I started doing yoga so young, it's just like part of my life, you know, but I think, um, I think if you, if you haven't been doing it for your whole life, then it really, I know that from talking to my students, you know, it, it really, really helps to, um, be part of a community. You mentioned you're going to go to Brazil, yeah. but it's more of like a teaching yeah. thing. Um, how are you able to take vacation? It sounds like you got a lot on your plate. You got your, you got a lot going on. How are you able to take vacation? Uh, yeah, I have to, that's really requires a lot of discipline, right? to be able to shut it down. So I don't have a nine to five job. I only teach one public class a week, which means I only have one, I only have one commitment every week and the rest of my schedule, I totally determine myself. So I work those, uh, I work and I, and I used to teach a ton of classes, you know? Um, but so I work in my, what I want to do, I work that in on my, on my time, you know? And so I make sure that I go on vacation a couple of times a year. We just got back from the beaches in South Carolina. We were there for a week and I'm going to somewhere for my 20th anniversary. We haven't decided yet, but maybe some Island or something off of Florida. So, or Puerto Rico, I'm not sure. But so we try and make time to, to do that at least twice a year to take time. And I'm so very fortunate because I have a 13 year old son and I've been able to be present for him through his, you know, after school, 
and picking them up from school and taking them to sporting events. I've been able to do that. It's been a wonderful career in that sense. Absolutely. Cool. Are you able to do any, I mean, besides work, do you have any hobbies or you got a, you got a kid? Sounds like that's uh, obviously an important thing in your life. Anything that um, keeps you distracted from work and lets you fulfill life on the home front? Yeah, I love, I'm, I'm a reader. <laughs> I love books. I love fiction. I, I read, you know, I just, I, I love reading. I feel really um, fulfilled when I get to, I, I was a, I have a master's degree in literature, so I love reading and writing. Those are really, um, those are yeah. really creative things for me. So I read good books and um, I just read one called uh, Euphoria by Lily King, I think, which is a wonderful book. And I'm reading this wonderful book now called um, Gardens in the Dunes by Leslie Marmot Silco. So I, I just, I love reading. That's definitely one of my hobbies. Um, I also, you know, I go for walks every day with my family. Almost every day we go for walks after dinner. That's one of our things. We meditate together as a family. Um, we sing together a lot. I play guitar yeah, so, ah. so those are fun things that I like doing. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you have to get away from work sometimes. But I have to tell you, like, one of the most wonderful creative things I get to do is write and make PowerPoints and present. I mean, it's amazing, you know. So I love that. Yeah, That's really yeah. awesome. Because so many people are like, what are you supposed to do with a master's degree in <laughs> literature? You know, you hear that, like, that joke. <laughs> and um, you're learning. You figured it out. Like, what am I supposed to write about? What am I supposed to do? Like, well, I got this whole thing on yoga. I'm Got this passion. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. Yeah, we got good. I was a journalist for a couple yeah. of years, so I get to use some of that and write articles and things. Yeah. Mm. Do you have the journalist voice, or were you just? Uh, I was a reporter. That's a reporter. Never mind. Yeah, I was really a reporter. I guess to uh, be accurate, I wasn't really a journalist. Mm. <laughs> I just wrote for a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey! Come on. What do you do with your spouse to keep the love alive and feel oh, connected? Well, we meditate together at least once and often twice a day. Um, and we work, you know, he's a yogi, so we're just, we're totally simpatico, you know, we, we talk about my work all the time. We talk about his work. He's also a therapist. He's a, um, psychotherapist. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, we just, we just take walks together and I don't know, we, we get along really well. I'm really lucky. <laughs> Love yeah, fantastic. No, I mean, sounds like you got, you found someone that actually jives oh, well with you. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. I've just like. I get so amazed sometimes that I'm like, how did I find this guy? Because he's from New Zealand, actually. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's oh, a nice. Kiwi. So we're all, and, but then that's the thing. I was like, oh my God. He's, when I first met him, I was like, oh, he's so nice. He's so nice. But then I went to New Zealand and I was like, oh, they're all like that. With a great accent. Great too. Accent. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's why I married him. I just wanted to hear that voice. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I married a Chinese girl, so I can I can feel you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So, last two questions. Okay. You ready for this? You kind of already mentioned books, but do you happen to have any favorite books, blogs, podcasts that you definitely would recommend for others? Sure. Well, I can tell you what I've been reading um, and what I love. So, one of the a lovely book if you're interested in. Um, Trauma and Recovery as Bessel van der Kock, The Body Keeps the Score. I can't, I have not met a person who doesn't love that book. That's a very readable book. The other book that I love is anything by Gabor Mate, but particularly in the realm of hungry ghosts. 
like I said, I'm a reader, so I, I can tell you about podcasts. I also listen to the Brain Science podcast. That's fun. But but that's pretty much the only podcast that I'm – if you have good podcast recommendations, let me know. Um, another book I read recently that I loved was Barbara Friedrichsen, and it's called Love 2.0. It's all about oxytocin and interception. Really good stuff. Yeah, really good mm. book. You know, Rick Hansen's book is a nice one for just starting out to understand some some things about mindfulness and yoga and neurobiology, and it's called Buddha's Brain. That's a nice kind of starter book. It's not I, – I think Norman Doidge's latest book is excellent, really readable, very narrative, and it's called um, The Brain's Way of Healing. So those are some of the things I've been – I'll put all these on the show notes as well so they can have a quick reference and write to I mean, yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, those are some fun books. I, you know, I feel like I get books all the time and I don't always read all of them, but um, I, I still am very much a book person. You know, I'm still, I'm old. I love books. <laughs> Somebody told me that, like, you know, it's okay not to finish a book or it's okay to skip around. It's like, you know, one day you just like, I have permission to do that? You're like, yeah, you don't have to go from page one to 220. You can do whatever you want. It's your book. You can, you don't even have to finish it. I was like, oh my gosh. And, and I have a book called Healing Self Massage that I wrote about more than 10 years ago. That's published by Sterling. And that was, you know, I really, was really getting into the importance of, of being able to access acupressure points and do some simple techniques on yourself. Um, I think that a lot of people can feel a little more empowered if they have a few techniques they can do. Yeah. yeah. Phone type of gal? Um, a little bit. I use some apps. You have a good app? Well, that was the last thought. So that was always our last question. Do oh. you have any favorite apps that you just love to use on your phone? It's just a fun I'll way to end the podcast. I'll tell you my favorite app. It's called Guitar Tuna. Yeah. <laughs> do you know Guitar Tuna? It's a, No, I don't play the guitar. It's a way to tune your guitar. <laughs> I use that one all the time. But I'm not, you know, I'm not like huge into I've I've fiddled around with some of the music apps and some of the um, yoga ones. And I don't know. I'm I'm a really fast typist, so I prefer to sit at my computer and write stuff and than I do to fiddle around on my phone. I don't love – and I also hate the phone neck, the cell phone neck thing, you know, looking down all the time at the phone. Oh. It's, it's such a strain on my neck, so I'd rather sit ergonomically at my computer and do stuff that way. I almost don't want to tell people not to do it because it brings in so much income to the, to the practices. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say well, that? I just did. I make my, oh my so I got a 13 year old, so I make him lie back on the, on the couch and do it like this. So at least his neck is supported. You got to, we're seeing it in such a young age where people are losing their neck curves and uh, reversing their curve. And that's just, we're not going to go into it. Suffice it to say that you don't want that. But luckily, there's devices and things you can purchase to help with that right, other than just right. proper posture, which yeah. is so hard yeah, to do. But, oh, it's, yeah, I think it's bad. It's really yeah. addictive and and uh, just promotes maladaptive movement patterns. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tension issues, right. I think, as right. well. For sure. How can people get in touch with so you? So my website is subtleyoga.com, S-U-B-T-L-E-Y-O-G. A.com. Please visit it. There's lots of freebie stuff in the store. Well, around there's like videos and some audio stuff and some some ebooks and things like that you can you can play with. And then uh, my my email is subtleyoga at gmail.com. So feel free to contact me or connect with me and um, let me know what you're doing out there. Love to hear love to hear from people. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think this is going to be a really good 
hour for the listeners to explore yoga, explore that it's not just about poses. And you gave so many resources that they can really explore your own website as well as others on their own time. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for having me, Justin. It was fun to talk to you in China. (laughs) Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show. How cool living in Japan, learning in Nepal and India. I really like the idea of long-term how to implement yoga into a hospital setting, how to make it a part of the system to get that entire mind, body, spirit better. And the fact that it has over 5,000 studies, to me, that's pretty awesome. So definitely yogau.com. And of course, if you want some training from her, subtleyoga.com. Again, show notes at doctorsperspective.net slash 38. Travel tip is coming up next. Somebody was asking me the other day. They said, I'm 30 pounds overweight, which is more than what it used to be. I've got no motivation to go to the gym, but I know I need to do something. And I told them that's what my book is about. You can't go from eating 3,000 calories, dropping them to 18 without some kind of plan. I can help you get there and all the little steps in between. Maybe you can only exercise for five minutes, but start there. Don't feel guilty about it. And then work yourself up to that 30-minute goal that everybody says you should do. That's what the book's about. You can get it at doctorperspective.net slash free ebook, or you can just buy it on Amazon as a paperback or a Kindle. If you notice on our website, we have all these pop-ups where you can get uh, 12 exercises for your neck and low back, core strengthening. We also have stretches for numbness and tingling that are in the arms, feet, hands. I want you to know we have merchandise at a doctorperspective.net slash shop. You know, we've got uh, t-shirts and logo podcast gear that I would be so thankful if you got. Uh, Definitely post a picture on social media and and tag me and I'll give you a a shout out. As always, if you look at the top right of the website, we have all the little social media icons. Just pick the ones that you like to use the most. Follow us. Uh, You're going to get quotes from the each week's episode. You know, if you sign up on an email, you'll get all the updates and uh, important announcements. So as always, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you listening. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, I'd be much obliged. Today's travel tip. I just got back from Singapore. And while I was there, it was a very short trip, but I made an effort to meet a few people. I had one on from the show. So I was like, let me go meet her and her husband. And then there was another guy that were part of a group together. Never met him. So I met him as well. And this isn't the first time that I've traveled somewhere and and met people along the way. Most of the time that was in America. But I highly suggest it. Sometimes you might get a free room and board, which is kind of nice. And that was not the case here. I wasn't trying to get that. Just saying that it's really cool to be able to grab dinner, catch up, and meet either old friends or people that you, uh, colleagues, and things like that. So I encourage it. See you next week. Where? We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.